I want to invite you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 6. Luke 6 verse 37 to 42. And then hopefully one more sermon, perhaps two in Luke chapter 6. <laughs> Someone in the church asked me the other day, when you're done with Luke 6? Well, hopefully soon. Luke 6 verse 37 to 42. And the theme for today's message the danger or the dangers of a critical spirit. Let's pray. Holy God and Savior, Father of your people, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the universe, we come before you as really clay pots, Lord. We are weak and fragile, frail, easily broken and we pray that you would sustain us and support us and help us not merely our bodies for we know that this body will turn to dust but our souls our spirits that we would be strengthened in the inner man and so we also long and look for and hope for the salvation of our bodies for the redemption of the body for the resurrection of the body for a glorified body and we pray that you will come soon, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Amen. Now, a food critic is someone who evaluates the texture of food, the taste of food, and then he writes about that in either a magazine or in a newspaper, in some food column. So what this kind of guy will do is he will he will show up at a restaurant looking like an ordinary client, just someone coming out for the evening. And then he will, he will grade that restaurant um, by the service they give and all these things I just mentioned about the food. Almost like you saw in, in that movie, some of you, that Walt Disney animation Ratatouille, where the food critic comes and he evaluates the food. Now, it's no problem if you want to evaluate a plate of food, but Luke chapter 6, verse 37 to 42. Someone in the church asked me, when you finished with Luke 6? <laughs> uh, hopefully one or two more sermons. So Luke 6, verse 37 to 42, and the theme I've chosen for this message is the dangers of a critical spirit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we draw near before you the Holy God, the Most High, the King of the universe, the God of glory. We so in such desperate need, Lord, of your grace and help. We do not always realize it, but indeed we are. We're so fragile. We break so easily. Our bodies will return to dust. And, O oh Lord, we pray to you, the Most High, and ask that you would guide us now by your Spirit. Give me the words to speak, I pray. And give us ears to understand, to listen, and to obey. In Jesus' name, Amen. So the dangers of a critical spirit, when I think of that theme, 
I think of a food critic. Um, a food critic is someone who rocks up at your restaurant. He shows up at the restaurant looking like an ordinary client. And you don't know that he's going to grade your restaurant uh, by what the food is like, the texture, the taste, uh, the spices, the balance, uh, all of that. And then he'll write about that in the newspaper, in a food column, or in a magazine with glossy and shiny picture, pictures of <clears throat> your restaurant and the plate of food that he had. Almost like in that Walt Disney animation, Ratatouille, where the food critic shows up and the restaurant loses a star. Now, it's not a problem to be a food critic. It's not a problem for you to evaluate a plate of food. But if you start pulling people's character apart, <clears throat> that is sin. You can't treat people like you treat food. I remember how the Lord dealt quite severely with me, <clears throat> and very straight and lovingly also, in rebuking me for my critical spirit when I was a youth pastor in Nelspreet. And I had to, I had to confess that. Uh, what had happened before is I would, <clears throat> I went into the senior pastor's office. I'd made a list of all the things that are wrong in the church. <clears throat> and I went to the senior pastor and said, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. You know, I had a critical spirit. I just saw the the dark side of everything and the negative side of everything. And about a year later, I went back into his office and after the Lord had rebuked me through a sermon and I confessed my sin and repented. You see, a, a critical spirit is an ugly thing and it can do great damage. I know of a man with such a spirit who went from one church to the other, uh, causing division. He would show up at your church, at a church, and then soon afterward he would start a Bible study in his house, gather a few of the church members, and then as time went by he started climbing into the pastor and the elders' characters, and he would tear them to pieces and speak of all the bad things in their characters and what they do wrong and what they preached it wasn't quite spot on and so on. <clears throat> and he actually succeeded in drawing some people away from the church. A number of churches asked this man to leave their church because of the trouble he had caused. So let us then heed, give heed to the teaching of Jesus and to the warning of Jesus. And let us search our own hearts to see, is there a critical spirit hiding somewhere? Well, two dangers of a critical spirit. In the first danger, you are harming others. <clears throat> and that is in verse 37 to 38. Let's read. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Some years ago, Joel Osteen, a famous American prosperity preacher, was on Larry King Live on CNN International. And Larry King asked him, he said, are Muslims and Jews saved? 
are Muslims and Jews going to hell because they don't believe in Christ? So they're really trying to do their best, but simply because they reject Jesus Christ, they're not going to heaven. <clears throat> and Larry King didn't want to answer. He avoided the question. I, I don't know, he said. I can't, I can't judge people's hearts. And then Larry King said, but you believe in Christ, don't you? And he said, yes, yes, I do. Uh, so you believe you're saved through Christ? Yes. So that means that, does that mean Muslims who don't believe in Christ, they're not going to heaven? What about atheists? And then he went off about Hindus who, I was in India with my father, and those Hindus really love God. I could see that. And eventually, <clears throat> Larry King pushed him in a corner to see, does he believe Christ is the only way? And then he said, well, well, I don't know if these people are saved. I'll let God be the judge of that. In 2013, uh, Pope Francis said, if a person is gay and seeks God and has goodwill, who am I to judge? Now, both these examples are built on a wrong premise. And both, both these examples are built on a wrong understanding of Jesus' words. When Jesus says, do not judge, he doesn't mean you may not say when something is wrong. And God has given us the, uh, the ability to distinguish, to discern between right and wrong, between true and false, between good and evil. Why else would Jesus say a few verses later in verse 43 to 45, he speaks of good trees and bad trees, good fruit and bad, excuse me, bad fruit. And in Matthew, soon after Jesus says, you may not judge, he says, do not cast your pearls before the swine, before pigs. Do not give what is holy to the dogs. So Jesus, he understands there that we will have discernment to know don't waste your pearls on this people, on these people. Don't waste your good words on that person because he's a pig or he's a dog. Jesus even says you will know the tree by its fruit. He says be careful of wolves in sheep's clothing. How are you going to know it's a wolf if you don't judge? So God doesn't want us to be naive. God doesn't want us to believe anything and everything. He wants us to distinguish and to discern between good and evil, right and wrong, true and false. What God wants us to do is we should judge, but with right judgment, as Jesus said in John 7 verse 24. So don't, don't do what some people do. And many people misuse these verses to actually excuse their sin and say, you, who are you to judge me? And actually they're excusing their sin. They don't want accountability. They don't want it to be, they don't want to be held accountable for their sin. Don't use these verses to say that a church may not practice church discipline because now you're judging people. The Bible tells us in the church to judge people. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 2 to 5 and 12 and 13 says, judge that person. Don't judge those who are outside the church, but God has given you to, uh, the responsibility to practice biblical church discipline. And if you do so, you are applying God's judgment. If you use these verses to excuse sin, you use that kind of reasoning, then you need to say, oh, so the government may not apply God's judgment on criminals. Someone steals, they're not allowed to persecute him. Someone murders or rapes someone, not allowed to do anything because now you're judging. No, they are allowed to judge because God has given that, that task to them. 
So it's very clear. Jesus is not against us using God's word as the measuring stick to see, all right, now we are going to cast a vote. Now we are going to say to judge what is wrong and what is right, what is true and what is false. So it's not wrong for someone to say, it is sin if you lie. And if you do not repent of your lying, you will go to hell. Revelation 21 verse 8. Now what we shouldn't do is we shouldn't judge, we shouldn't judge people's motives. Because we don't know people's hearts. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5. You don't know what someone means by not smiling at you or by not greeting you. And it's also wrong for us to judge one another on gray areas. Gray areas is anything the Bible doesn't command or forbid. Romans 14 verse 13. Stop judging one another. And that's talking about gray areas. For instance, a man once said about his wife, he told me, it's impossible. His wife was a devoted Christian, um, but she had a sin in her life, and that was being addicted to tobacco. And he said, it's impossible that my wife can be a Christian. She smokes. Another man told me, he said, people who smoke, they sin so openly. How is it possible that they are even Christians? I think that's judging someone on a gray area. Something the Bible doesn't forbid or command. And the Bible says don't do that. But we should judge people. And we must judge people's words and their deeds. If you don't do that, how will you know, oh, this is a good example to follow, or this is a bad example and I should avoid it? And it's exactly for that reason, because people don't have discernment, that our society is in such a mess, that people are now saying that something that's good is evil and something that's evil is good, Isaiah 5 verse 20. All right, so what does Jesus mean when he says, you must not judge, verse 37, judge not? I think what Jesus means is don't have a critical spirit and you, you're nitpicking, you're finding fault with everything people do. And it's like you, you're the hawk, you've got a hawk eye. And you're watching people very closely with this hawk eye to see, are they doing anything wrong? It's like you're the self-appointed class captain and everyone must answer to you. Jesus is saying, don't, don't be that kind of person. You want to judge people all the time. You want to condemn people to hell all the time. Rather be the evangelist when you see the unbeliever's sin to share the good news with him. Of how he can be saved and Jesus is the friend of sinners to save us from our sins. Or if the Christian sins, you're the friend of that Christian to help him conquer his sin and overcome his sin. Don't be the person you pick up stones to stone people. Don't say, I can't believe he would do something like that. When I was young, I wouldn't even dream of doing something like that. <clears throat> that is a self-righteous spirit and a critical spirit. <clears throat> Please remember you too. At one time you were lost, and you are saved by grace alone, not by any merit of your own. <clears throat> so be be merciful with a sinner. I, I don't mean you should say, oh, it's not a problem that you that you sin. No, it is a problem. What I, but what I mean is, rather than saying, oh, it's no problem that you sin, or rather than being critical, why not say what Jesus said, go and sin no more? And then you do the same with that brother who's, <clears throat> who's bringing a wrong teaching. 
So if, if this person is bringing teaching that's blatantly against the gospel, then you condemn it and then you warn people against that person and say that's a false teacher. But if it's a devoted Christian and he misunderstands something like sanctification, for instance, yes, I know it has consequences. We shouldn't ignore it. But don't don't say this guy's a, a heretic, he's a false teacher. For instance, don't take John Wesley on the one hand and Bushiri on the other hand and say they're the same. They're both false teachers. No, they're not. Bushiri is a false teacher because he preaches a false gospel. John Wesley, don't write off everything he says and don't write off the whole man, John Wesley, simply because he had a wrong understanding of sanctification, of how we grow in, in holiness and obedience. He believed that you can be perfect in this life. That's wrong. Or at least sometimes he believed that and sometimes he wasn't sure. But don't write off all that John Wesley says. Uh, he's a brother in Christ, so don't write off all he says simply because he has a wrong understanding of sanctification. You see someone who's hypocritical. He's, he's like the devil who accuses people. And that's also a sign of pride. It's a sign of a prideful heart if, you, if you've got a critical spirit. Because you think you're better than other people. You see yourself as the standard. And you don't even realize you're busy backsliding. J.C. Ryle said, quote, There's no surer mark of backsliding and falling off in grace than an increasing disposition to find fault, pick holes, and see weak points in others. End quote. <clears throat> you're doing it to your own harm if you have a critical spirit. And if you condemn other people... <clears throat> and you judge other people, then God will condemn you, and God will judge you. Verse 37, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. So the opposite then must be true also. If you do judge, you'll be judged. If you condemn, you'll be condemned. And how can it be otherwise? If you see everyone's errors, but you don't see your own, you don't see yourself as a hopeless sinner that needs Christ, and so you exalt yourself as the judge overall like James 4, verse 11 and 12 warns us not to do. And because you don't see your own sin, you don't bend your knee in, in humility before Christ. You don't humbly come bowing the knee before Jesus Christ, and therefore God will judge you. You judge, and God will judge you. <clears throat> You've got a critical spirit placing yourself about, above others. Don't see yourself as the sinner who needs forgiveness. You will be judged. So, how do you overcome a critical spirit? Well, first of all, you ask the Lord, please point it out in my own heart if I have this critical spirit. And then you ask the Lord's forgiveness if you're guilty. And you ask the forgiveness of other people against whom you've been critical if you are guilty. And then you also forgive those who've sinned against you rather than having this hypocritical spirit toward them. Verse 37 in. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. So forgive just like you want God to forgive you. You forgive others. Like Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And please remember, your and my sin against God is greater, and it's more than the sin of the other person, whatever he or she did to you. So don't say, like people sometimes say, don't say, I'll forgive, but I won't forget. Then you haven't forgiven. 
Now, I don't mean go for shock therapy so they can shock your brain and you forget what the other person has done. What I mean is you should choose to forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And how's that? How does the Lord forgive us? <clears throat> well, he doesn't remember your sin against you. He doesn't bring your sin up right in front of your face. God doesn't feel bitter. God doesn't remind himself of your sin. God doesn't tell everyone on Facebook about what you've done. God doesn't gossip about you. And so you and I should do the same for other people if we forgive them. You see, the person who forgives does so because he realizes, I too am a sinner. I too need forgiveness. How can I then hold this against another? And that's why the person who forgives, he comes to the Lord for his own sin also. And he asks for forgiveness. He confesses his sin. And that's why he now forgives others. And then he himself is forgiven. Does that make sense? Forgive and you will be forgiven. But, although we should forgive, if you want to overcome, conquer a critical spirit, you need to do more than simply forgive. Verse 38 continues and says, not only forgive, but now verse 38, give. Give, do good. Help the person against whom you were critical and toward whom you were critical. Help that person. Do good to that person. And if you do so, the Lord will reward you. What, what you give to your enemy, the Lord will multiply when he gives back to you. Verse 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. Now, uh, Proverbs also says something to the same effect in chapter 19, verse 17, speaking about when you give to the poor, God will give back to you. And the Greek word used here for the fold of your garment, when it says it, it's put into your lap, it's really an extra piece on the old garment. Um, and it folds over so you can use that as a pocket. For instance, you can put grain, almost like if you've got a handkerchief uh, tied to your waist or an apron tied to your waist, you can use that bottom flap and pick it up and then carry stuff in it. And so the picture here is grain or wheat is put into that fold and it says it's pressed down to make space for more. Then it's shaken together. So you take the edges of this uh, this fold, the garment, and you shake it, shake it, shake it. So there's more place, more space. And then you put more wheat, and you put more wheat, and you shake again, and you press down until it runs over. Jesus says that will be put into your lap. Now, if your hand is closed, and you don't have an open hand when you help <coughs> other people, and you give to other people, then... What can God put in a closed hand? Your fist is tight. It's not open. You're holding fast to that. Number one, you're holding fast to what you do have, the little you have. You don't want to open. So how can, how can God fill it up? He can't. And he won't. So help with an open hand. And then God will reward you. God will bless you. God will multiply the blessings upon you. So that you can give again. As 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 to 11 says, God doesn't bless you with more and more and more so can, you can have more for yourself, but that you can give more. Now that obviously 
the principle applies to your personal finance and it applies to the church's finances, how we use it. So if we give with an open hand, uh, then God will repay us. That's just a biblical principle. Second Corinthians 9 verse 6, you sow little, you'll reap little. You sow much, you'll reap much. Uh, Proverbs 3 verse 9 and 10 also. But in the context here, in Luke, it's not really about merely your personal finances. We can apply it to that. But the context here is about loving your enemies, as really started in verse 27. Loving your enemies all the way down. And now it says, the way you help your enemy when he's in need. Remember, Paul said, if he's hungry, give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, your enemy. So when you help your enemy in need, do so with an open hand. With an open hand, instead of criticizing the person, help the person when there's need. So don't don't go around just handing out criticism and giving out criticism. Go around giving out good things, sharing good things with those who irritate you. Jesus says, verse 38, given it will be given you. And don't do it merely to just ease and soothe your conscience. Because if you do that, I just want to soothe my conscience, then you're going to give with a teaspoon. But if you do it with the right attitude, you'll give with a an excavator. You'll give with a, a truckload full. And you'll give with open hands, with both hands. And then God will do the same for you, according to verse 38. Number two. Second way you harm yourself. If you've got a critical spirit. Second danger. You harm yourself and others. So number one was you harm yourself. Now it moves on. It goes up one step. You harm yourself and others. Verse 39 to 42. Jesus also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone when he's fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, oh, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. <clears throat> then you will see clearly. To take the speck out the speck that is in your brother's eye. I remember in the 1990s, there was an advert on TV, a Rolo advert, Rolo chocolate. And it was this little boy was at the zoo, and it was his last Rolo. And he saw the elephants walking past, and there was a baby elephant, and he said, Dumbo! And he called the little elephant, and the elephant ran toward him. And he held out the Rolo, and the elephant stretched his trunk to get the Rolo, and the boy stretched, and then the boy pulled back his hand, shoved the Rolo in his mouth, chewed it, and laughed and teased the little elephant. Years later, the little boy grew up and he was at a parade in some city and the elephants were walking by and an elephant tapped him on the shoulder. And as he looked up, the elephant used his trunk and slapped him in the face. So the elephant remembered it was the same elephant. The reason I say that is because humor sometimes help, it helps us to remember things better. I wouldn't have have remembered that that advert as well, I think, if it wasn't for the human in the ad. Now, what Jesus does is exactly uses that tactic. Jesus uses two 
humorous um, images and illustrations here, and it makes his, his teaching unforgettable. Uh, who doesn't know these two, two illustrations? Probably most of us know them. So the first illustration is about two blind men who fall into a ditch, into a pit. <clears throat> you can almost see one man standing there blind, and he's got a, a walking stick, a blind man's stick, and another blind man coming, saying, can I help you? And uh, you almost see that this first guy doesn't know. Oh, the guy who's helping me is also blind, so he follows him. And then the first guy trips, the leader trips, he falls into the pit or into the ditch. And the other one, well, he follows, falls in the ditch with him. Like Jesus taught the same parable in Matthew 15, verse 14. And that's exactly how we are. If, if you've got a critical spirit and you're always looking for mistakes in other people, always picking out their sins and what they do wrong, then you're blind. You are blind. You're seeing what everything else, what everyone else does, but you, you don't even see your own sin. And so you're not qualified to help other people to overcome their sin. You are blind. You're not qualified to lead another blind man. You see, the hypocritical person Usually he doesn't have a teachable spirit. He sees himself as, I'm God's anointed teacher. I'm God's anointed one. And I must show others the right way. That is a proud person. He's not teachable. The humble person, he doesn't exalt himself above other people. But he's like a child. And he comes and he sits at the feet of Jesus. So he learns from those who are like Christ. And in the end, he himself becomes like Christ. And now he can help other sinners. And he can do it with compassion. He can do it with empathy. He can treat them with sympathy, with kindness. And he can help them to overcome their sin. And that's the point of verse 40. Saying, the humble person, verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher. Everyone, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. I want to be like Christ. And then I can help people in the right way. Because I see my own errors and my own mistakes. And so before you, before you criticize other people, before you rebuke people for their sin, pray. Pray first. Pray. I'm not saying we should never rebuke people. We should. But pray first. And then ask the Lord, please purify my heart. And then you search your own heart. And you confess any and every sin that might be there. Like Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And then ask yourself, what is your motive? Why, why do you want to go and talk to this person? Why do you want to rebuke the person? And be honest when you answer that question. And also make sure you are not doing the very same thing that you see in another. That's like giving a child a hiding, a spanking. Because he swears, but you swear. <laughs> okay, so that's the first illustration is the two blind people. The second one is the beam and the splinter in, um, from verse 41, uh, verse 41 and 42. You can, you can again see the picture. So here's a guy, his eyes irritating him, and you say, what's wrong? He says, I don't know, there's something in my eye. And you say, come on, move aside. Everyone step aside, step aside. I, I'm, a, I'm a professional splinter remover. Come, open your eye. Let me see what's in your eye. 
But you see the second guy, he can't even see what's in the other guy's eye. He can't see the splinter. Why? Because he's got this massive beam in his own eye, like a rafter of a, a roof. He's got this rafter in his eye, this beam, and he's bumping into the man he's trying to help. And that's what someone, someone who's got a critical spirit, that's what he's like. He's a hypocrite. Jesus calls him a hypocrite in verse 42. Verse 41, he gives the picture. You're a hypocrite, he says. Why? You're a hypocrite because you yourself are filled with sin. You're so full of sin, but you're hiding it. How are you hiding it? You're hiding it by criticizing others, by focusing on their sin. And so the focus won't be on your sin. Almost like not too long ago, a guy, he criticized someone else to my, to my face and said, yeah, this guy is guilty of this and this and this sin. But that man was guilty of the very same thing he criticized the other person of. Or a friend of mine, a man in his church, <clears throat> he accused his wife of, I think she's got an adulterous affair. But he was busy with an affair at that very moment. So he accused his wife to get the attention of himself. He's a hypocrite, Jesus says. So you see that the hypocritical person is guilty of a double sin. The first sin is breaking other people down. He's tearing down their reputation. And the second sin, he's ignoring all the sin in his own life. So until you search your own heart, if you're a, a critical person, until you search your own heart, instead of looking at other people's sin, there is very little hope for you. So ask yourself the question this morning. Is there, have you got a beam in your eye? Have you got a rafter in your eye? Have you got a big massive log in your eye? Do you have a critical spirit? Now Jesus is not saying, oh, you shouldn't help people remove the splinters from their eyes. What Jesus is saying is first remove the beam from your own eye. Remove the, the rafter from your own eye, the log. And then you'll be able to help others. And you'll see clearly to help them remove the splinter, as verse 42 says, and also Jesus' teaching in Matthew 7. You see, because if the, if the log is out of your own eye, the beam is out of your own eye, then you can come with a right attitude when you help the person remove the splinter. Your attitude now is, oh, what a relief. This log is out of my eye. I know what it feels like to be forgiven and restored. Can I help you, brother? And so you've got the right attitude, as Paul says in Galatians 6, verse 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you are spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so now you're coming with a right frame of mind when you help the person remove the splinter. And what will happen if all of us do so? Then there'll be forgiveness, reconciliation, unity, healing, restoration. Almost like in a story I read in a book called The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. And this is a real story about a, and I don't think these are their real names, but a story about a pastor and his wife. Um, he calls the pastor Mark and his wife Donna. And they had there was a rift between them and the elders of the church because when the senior pastor left the church, 
he was up. He thought he would now be called as the next pastor, the next senior pastor, and he wasn't. Uh, because the elders, even in a meeting, people questioned his um, gifting and they questioned his ability to take over the role of senior pastor. And he was very hurt by that. And then they, they even tore him down, uh, his reputation maybe, but definitely his abilities in a church meeting and the elders didn't come up for him. And he was very bitter toward them and for six months this went on that they gossiped about him and people in the church spoke behind his back and he gossiped about them and his bad mouth them and oh what a mess and then eventually the elders they got uh, peacemaker ministries to come in and, and help them they asked them please will you help us to resolve this issue and the people did come and they had a meeting but mark was bitter and he couldn't forgive the elders he, he couldn't forget what they had done to him but eventually there was a church meeting and the elders got up in front of the entire congregation. One by one they got up and they confessed their sin in the way they treated Pastor Mark and they asked for forgiveness. And Mark sat there and he, he was still bitter and angry and he thought, I can't forgive, it's so hard. And eventually his wife got up to his surprise and she took the mic and she confessed her sin and said, I'm the biggest problem here. I was critical and she confessed her sin and then Mark got up. And God gave him the grace to speak, and he confessed his own sin. And he said, you know, really, I'm the biggest problem here. I should have led the congregation in the right way. I've sinned against you all. And he confessed his sin. And then, once he'd spoke, then church members started getting up. And this whole confession, the thing went on for 45 minutes. And there were hugs, and there was forgiveness, and there was restoration and reconciliation. So may I ask you, are you aware of a sin in your own life that you need to confess and you need to forsake? Do you need to repent of a critical spirit? Is there a brother or sister that you need to, you need to go and help them to remove a splinter and you need to do it in love? Well, if so, uh, what are you waiting for? Do what is right. And the Lord will bless you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, your mercy is great. Our sin is abundant, but your grace is more. O oh Lord, cover our sin by your grace. Cover our sin by the blood of Jesus. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Help us to forgive. Help us to love even those who do not treat us kindly. As we treated you as an enemy and you forgave us. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Lord, have mercy upon us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.